Chapter 5, Part 2 from the sermon series, The Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Good morning to all those who are watching online, to all those in the nursery. We are just so grateful that you're here on this Palm Sunday to worship God with us. Palm Sunday, really, it's the inauguration of the last week of Jesus' life. If you know the scriptures of the Gospels, Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a donkey, and people are laying down their palm leaves and their jackets, and they're hailing him as king. And later in the week, they will also say, crucify him. He's ready for both. He's ready for both, right? And so this is uh, an important time for us. I do hope that all of you will be open to joining us for the Holy Week services at 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. every day at the church office. This week, you're more than welcome to join us. And then on Good Friday, we're actually here at 6 a.m. in the morning. And I hope you'll join us for Good Friday here at Metro. All right? Before we get started, can we just bow our heads for a moment of prayer? Father, thank you for gathering us here today. Thank you, God, that the church is everyone. People from all ages leading us in this service. People from all different backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds. Thank you, God, that the church is your mosaic. And I just pray, God, that you just continue to be with us as a church. You'll teach us more as we dig into the scripture of how that we can live this life, not just for ourselves, but to be a blessing. And so today, as we look at this passage in John, I pray that you would really speak deeply into us. I pray that you would move us to a place, God, where we would want to serve and live for you and understand that life with Jesus is better than anything else this world has to offer. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'll just guide us. I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray that it would indeed be pleasing unto you. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, uh, have you ever done something good and somebody questioned your intentions for it? Has that ever happened to you? Like you actually did something good and somebody were actually questioning why you did that. Well, a few months ago, uh, my son has one job. We give him one chore to do at the house. And that is every Saturday morning, he needs to vacuum the entire house. That is his job. That is the one chore that we give him, Jenny and I. And 99.9% .9 of the time, we actually have to remind him to do it. He will never take the initiative on his own to just do it on his own. Many times we have to literally threaten him to do it, all right? And that's the only way he'll vacuum the house. But a couple of months ago, out of no, just, we have no idea what was going on with him that day. He just decides to vacuum the entire house on his own without us having to remind him. That was weird. That was weird. But what he did right after he vacuumed the house was even more strange and weirder. You know what he did? He was up in his room, and he was studying. <laughs> he never studies on a Saturday. It doesn't matter. He never studies on a Saturday. And I remember going into his room, and I said, who are you, and what have you done to our son? <laughs> I said, whatever you've done to him, keep him there a lot longer, right? Because we love this version of Christian on. I mean... He was doing a good thing, but yet I questioned his intentions. I wasn't sure why he was doing all this. I thought he wanted us to buy him something. I wasn't sure what he was doing, but he was doing a good thing. And yet I challenged him and I questioned his intentions. That's exactly what happens to Jesus here. Shirley did a beautiful job opening up the passage last week. Jesus heals a paralyzed man. Does a good thing, right? And now the religious leaders are questioning him for it. 
They're saying, why? Why did you do this? Why did you heal this person on the Sabbath? And I love Jesus' response because it's so, so rich in Christology. And Christology is just our understanding of Jesus. Like theology is our understanding of God. Christology is our understanding of Jesus. And there is such rich, rich Christology here. And what Jesus is going to do as he responds to these religious leaders, he's going to teach us two things that he is responsible for. That because of his relationship with the Father, there are two things that the Father has given him responsibility for. What is the role and responsibility of Jesus Christ? That's what we're going to learn today. I hope it's going to be really meaningful for you today as you look at the scripture. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 5. We're going to look at verses 16 to 30. John 5, verses 16 to 30. I'm going to read from the New Living's translation, all right? Here we go. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. Jesus basically saying right here to the religious leaders, he's saying, listen, the Sabbath is for you. It's not for me. All right, me and my father are always working. He wanted to make that statement, but he also wants to remind you and I today is this. Have you ever questioned a time in your life where maybe you were struggling and you were asking God to intervene and you felt like he wasn't and you wondered if he was really working in your life or not? Has God ever seemed absent to you? Have you ever struggled perhaps maybe because you felt like God was silent? What Jesus teaches us here is this. God and Jesus Christ is always at work. It's all, they are always at work in your life. So no matter what you might feel, no matter what you might experience, no matter even if you feel like God might be silent, please know that God and Jesus Christ are working on behalf of you. Can I get an amen to that? He is truly working on your behalf. In fact, what I've learned over the years of my life, for many years, when I look at this and I reflect upon it, I realize that eventually the moments when I feel like God is silent and God is not working, I often realize that those are the season where he's at, where he's at most work in my life. I just didn't fully get it yet. And sometimes you're not going to know till a little later. But may that encourage you. God is always at work in your life. He's always at work in your life. And understand his silence is a form of action. He's working. Just because he's silent doesn't mean he's not working. He is. Verse 18. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. They didn't like what he was saying, so they wanted to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. So Jesus explained. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son, underline that word love, loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. The word love in the Greek is in the present tense, which means an ongoing continuous affection between God and the Son. This is one of the best parts of Scripture in the Gospel where Jesus really talks about the intimacy that he has with the Father. It's a beautiful thing. Verse 21. For just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. In addition, the Father judges no one. Instead, he has given the Son absolute authority to judge so that everyone will honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. And I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. 
The Father has, himself, has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his Son. And he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the Son of Man. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life, and those who have continued in evil will rise to have experienced judgment. I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who set me, not my own will. You see, next Sunday, you and I are going to be celebrating Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What that means is that when Jesus Christ came here 2,000 years ago and died for us on the cross and resurrected from the dead, something happened. We don't just have this life after death, but something deeper happens. We're going to talk about this, all right? When Jesus says that the Father loves the Son, it, it doesn't, he doesn't just want to communicate how much the Father loves him, but because of that love, God has given him two key responsibilities that he has left them in charge of while we are here on earth today, that we can experience today, all right? It's one of the strongest passages, again, where Jesus addresses his relationship with the Father. What are these two things? What are these two? The first thing is this. What is Jesus as our Messiah? What role does that play in our life? The first one is this. It brings us life. Jesus as our Messiah brings us life. That word life appears eight times in this passage. Now, you've got to pay attention to repetition when you read the Bible. Whenever the author uses the same word over and over again, you've got to pay attention to it because he's trying to make a real powerful statement that Jesus' main function today as he's here, as you believe in him, that you say that he's your Lord and Savior, that he is to bring you life. Not just eternal life when you die and go to heaven because the holistic way of looking at eternal life is, yes, it's going to be a future reality for you, but eternal life can also be experienced today in the present. Amen? Theologians call that realized eschatology, where you can taste a little bit of heaven here on earth. And so get this, when Jesus goes back and he tells these religious leaders, he's saying that I not only have authority over the Sabbath, I have the authority to give eternal life or not. That's my role. My role is not just to heal on, on the Sabbath, but my role is to bring life. Jesus' function, one of the things that he wants to give to you today is this life. He wants to give you this life. He wants you to experience it. Look at verse 21, verse 24, and 26. Verse 21, 24, 26. For just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. Verse 26, the Father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his Son. The key things in these verses is that Jesus is expanding his divine claim again, that he's not just Lord of the Sabbath, but he's truly Lord, where he can give you and I life. And he wants to give that to you. Now listen, I hear Christians say this sometimes, and I've said it too in the past. Jesus, come back now. I hate this life. It's too hard. Please, Jesus, come back now. Because you want to enter into this eternal life and forget about all the different things that you're living and you're encountering in this world. The eternal life that Jesus is talking about is, yes, you will have an eternal life after death which is beautiful, but you can experience that eternal life today. You don't have to wait till Jesus comes back for you to encounter that. 
Jesus is life. He wants to give you this life, this robust life. Why can we encounter that? How are we able to live into that life? Because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That is the spirit, the presence of God that lives inside of you. Do you know how cool that is? Do you know how amazing that is? Do you know how that can transform you today? That regardless of whatever you're living right now, whatever might be your situation, because the spirit of God lives inside of you, he can breathe things into your life that often even look like death. That is the power of the gospel message. That is the abundance that Jesus wants to give you. So check this out, all right? Because when you follow Jesus, when you submit and surrender your life to him, his promise to you is that he will give you an abundance of God. That's his promise, that you will have an abundance of God in your life. How do you like them apples? Does that connect with you? Do you want an abundance of God or do you pursue God because you want him to bless you with an abundance of other things? How are you pursuing him today? Why are you deciding to follow after God? Why do you say you believe in Jesus? Is it just because your parents tell you to come to church and you grew up in the culture of Christianity? Or do you really believe that because you have Jesus, because you got the Holy Spirit in your life, that you have an abundance of God? And that's enough for you. That you don't need anything else. All you need is an abundance of God. You see, that to me is the secret to living this life. When you can live it in such a way, honestly, as Christians, where you can say to yourself that I'm not, God, just, don't just bless me with an abundance of other stuff. But God, I just want an abundance of you. You know what's so cool? This is why we're observing Lent. Because Lent is about giving up certain things that you actually love so that you can focus on God and hopefully have an abundance of him. That's what Lent's about. So cool. Our church is in this uh, place of 21 days of fasting and praying and I got an update, and this is why we, we can track these things now. I got an update. Thank you, Tim, for that. Uh, we got an, I got an update. We have 202 people fasting and praying for our church for the past 14 days. We have seven more days to go. And that's pretty cool. Listen, if you just pursue God, if the only reason why you're a Christian today is so that God can bless you with an abundance of wealth, success, whatever it might be, it's not going to end well for you because Jesus becomes a means to an end. Metro, the life that Jesus is giving to you today, he's offering you, the abundance of life that he's offering to you is this, God must be the end. He can never be the means to an end. So meaning this, is Jesus enough for you? If Jesus never blessed you, never answered another prayer request of yours, ever from this day forward, is he enough? And will you still believe in your heart of hearts that you have an abundance of God in your life? See, that's not easy. That's so hard, isn't it? And even me as a pastor, that I struggle with that reality. But you got to get to a place in your life where this, this, is the, this is that precipice, honestly, where you're going to begin to say, am I going to take ownership of my faith in Jesus or not? This is where your faith becomes actually yours, is when Jesus becomes enough. And all you want is an abundance of God. It's beautiful when you can fast and pray. And the only reason why you're fasting and praying is so that you can have an abundance of God in your life not an abundance of other things. Yes, I'm not saying it's not a bad thing to, to pray for certain things. Pray for it. But at the end, you already have an abundant life because you have God. It's, there's an abundance there. I've been loving the New Testament challenge. We've been reading this. And this week, if you are up to your readings, we finished Galatians. 
And in Galatians 6, it says this in verse 14. And this is really how you and I can get to a place where Jesus becomes enough. Look at verse 14. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, you've got to underline this, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we've been transformed into our new creation. How can you be this new creation? Because that's people who are living into this identity of being a new creation, they know that God's enough. The abundance of God is all you need. Paul says because of what Christ has done on the cross, because he's died and resurrected from the dead, he's crucified the world's interest in him. Listen, I know how much the world, I know how interesting the world is. There's a lot of interest out there for a lot of you. We're very interested in this world. But if you ever want to get to a place where Jesus Christ is enough for you, where there's an abundance of God in your life and you know that's the way to true life, is when you can say that, Jesus, you're enough. You're enough. And that's it. And you allow yourself to crucify the world's interests in your heart. I hope that you'll do that today, that you will crucify the world's interest in your hearts and when you do that, what will usually happen is that the world will no longer be interested in you. But that's okay. It's okay. You don't gotta, you don't gotta sweat about that. It's okay that you know what if the world loses interest in you because God will never. You have an abundance of him in your life and God wants you to connect with him in that way. Jesus, as our Messiah, one of the key things he does is offer us life, true life. But we cannot live into that new creation until you and I are willing to say, Jesus, you're enough. Is having God in abundance in your life today? I hope it will be. That's the first thing he gives to us. The second thing is Jesus as our Messiah. He doesn't just bring us life, but then the other thing he brings us is judgment. Is judgment. And you got to be ready for that. All right? You got to be ready for that. Because not only do you and I get a taste of experiencing heaven here on earth, but a lot of you think God doesn't judge. There's nothing scripturally that substantiates your claim to think that Jesus never judges you. He does. He does. And there will be a final judgment, yes, when he comes back. He will judge you. Final, there's a final judgment. But he still judges you today. All right. Uh, let's look at verses 22, 27, and 30. And that word judge or judgment appears six times in this passage. Six times. Look at verse 22. In addition, the father judges no one. Instead, he's given the son absolute authority to judge. Verse 27, and he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the son of man. Verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who set me, not my own will. Judgment and life is not an event left for the end times. It happens to us today. And Jesus will judge us based upon how we live our lives. He will. All right, look at Galatians 6, verses 8 through 9. Verses 8 through 9. I think Paul really helps us to kind of understand the judgment of Jesus today a little bit more through this passage. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good and just at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And so here's the deal. You have a choice today. You have a choice to please your spiritual nature or you have a choice to please your sinful nature. 
We all have a sinful nature. Do you know that? You do. Can you turn to your neighbor to your left and right and just say, you're a sinner. You have a sinful nature. Just say it. It's okay. Join the club. Those who love darkness, those who love their sinful nature, they find themselves in judgment already. God, Jesus has already judged you. He doesn't necessarily have to judge you because the judgment's already interwoven into the sin in which you and I commit. This is why repentance is so key. True repentance is truly the way out of that, right? But what happens when you and I live our lives to satisfy our sinful nature? What does Paul say here in Galatians? We start to decay. We start to rot. Your life begins to stink because you're living your life to satisfy your sinful nature. Will we always sin? Of course. We will. But here's the difference. You see, you have a choice between life or judgment. Judgment happens when you try to live your life wanting to satisfy your sinful nature as opposed to your spiritual nature. And when you decide to live your life to satisfy your sinful nature, then your life will begin to rot and decay. That's what we learn here. And the judgment of Christ is already upon you because you've chosen to satisfy that nature as opposed to your spiritual nature. Has anyone ever done that before? Do you know what I'm talking about here? When you spend a season of life, I don't know what season it might be, where you just live it for yourself. What begins to happen when you do that is nobody else is more important than just yourself, and you begin to hurt a lot of people along the way. And a lot of times we do it so unintentionally. We're not doing it so like, you know, uh, sort of like planned out, but we just do it because of our deep, deep brokenness, and we allow that brokenness to fester and grow in such a way where it really destroys our lives. When you and I live our lives to satisfy our sin, hear me on this, when you and I live our lives to satisfy our sinful nature, we will begin to rot we will begin to rot. John 3, 18 to 21, look at what it says here. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Do you see that? When you and I love the darkness, we end up living under the judgment. Jesus has already judged us. The judgment's already interwoven in the darkness in which you and I are choosing ourselves to live in. So the choice is simple today. Are you going to choose life or judgment? Is Jesus Christ going to be enough for you? Are you going to live your life to satisfy your sinful nature? How do we overcome that, though? That's not easy. How do we overcome our sinful nature? Now, listen, I've been doing battle with my sinful nature for a very long time. All right? Very long time. There are two things that have really helped me. I want to share it with you. I hope it will help you. These are not the only two things, but these are two things that have been a game changer for my sinful nature. All right? The first thing is this. I repent of my sins in the presence of someone. You guys know this. When you do that, when you commit yourself to doing that, you know what you're doing? You're waging, you're, rage, you're waging war on your sinful nature. 
You're saying I'm not going down like that. I'm not going to live my life to please my sinful nature. I'm going to confess it in the presence of someone else. I want to encourage you to take that practice and take it seriously. Now, maybe some of you have done that, but you do it like maybe once or twice a year. You got to do it regularly because you'll forget what kind of sins you're committing. You got to be open to sharing it at a regular pace, at least once or twice a month. I would say twice a month should be the minimum pace in which you and I live in. When you do that, things will happen. Great things will begin to happen in your life. Look at what it says in the Bible when you and I begin to confess our sins. James 5.16. That's going to be part of our reading for this week in the New Testament challenge. Verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. A lot of you need to confess your sins, not just so that your sins can be forgiven, but you need to do it because you actually need healing. You actually need some healing. Proverbs 28, 13, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. I want to prosper in God. I want an abundance of God in my life. That's being prosperous. But when you conceal your sins, when you don't invite anyone into your dark little worlds, you often will live your life satisfying. The enemy wants you to believe the sins that you commit are so ugly and so nasty that if you were to confess it to somebody, they don't want to be your friend anymore. They're going to start judging you. That's what he wants you to believe. I promise you that, right? And one of the things that the enemy has done a real good job in is making us feel incredibly guilty, making us feel like we're just a horrible human being. And the thing about this, the longer you conceal your secrets and your sinful secrets, you begin to find your identity in those things. And that's dangerous, when you confess it, you encounter God's mercy and his grace in a very concrete, tangible way. And that's why James says, then you'll be healed. You're going to be able to receive a blessing from God. All right? So that's really an important part. So confessing your sins in the presence of someone is really important. The other thing that's helped me is professional counseling. Shirley talked about this last week. I really think this is important. All right? Proverbs 20, 18. Plans succeed through a good counsel. Don't go to war without wise advice. We're at a war right now. There is a spiritual invisible war that you and I are encountering right now. And we need good advice. You see, some of you have gone through some really hard times. And I find this happening a lot with us as we get older. We minimize what we've gone through in our lives so that we don't have to deal with those things. We don't want to go back. And what happens is this. Some of you, it's been a long time, but you're living your life and those wounds are still fresh. And when our wounds don't heal, they mutate into addictive sinful patterns. And what happens is that we, we don't know why, but it's kind of like a drug, right? That we have to do these addictive sinful things to just numb ourselves from the hardship that we feel in our lives. The loneliness, the pain that we might be going through. Some of you have actually gone through some serious things and I'm going to tell you right now, God will help you, yes, but he always helps most powerfully in the presence of someone else. There are people who've actually trained to deal with your trauma. And then if you can invite them to be part of your life, it will change your life. Now listen, I know some of you are like, well, I tried, Peter, and that counselor did not help at all. Listen, it's going to take some time to find a good counselor. I went through three. My first guy... Do you know he fell asleep on me for a split second? Like his eyes, were, and then he went like this, and I'm like, okay, clearly this is not going to work. Because I'm pouring my heart out to him, and he fell asleep. 
That's not a good thing. Like, I could have said, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm not going to do this again. But I said, i got to find somebody. So I went to another guy. I didn't like him as well. But the third one was like a match made in heaven because he was a pastor and a psychologist. And that man has been challenging my life for the past eight, nine years. I wouldn't be standing here today if it wasn't for him. And what happens is that when you can meet with somebody and they can help you to make sense of your past, to start to experience healing of those wounds. And you know what happens naturally when that happens? Your addictive sinful patterns are no longer addictions anymore. They're just sins that you do once in a while, but they're not stuff that you do every single day because you're so broken and hurt of the wounds that you sustained in your life. Go to emetro.org counseling, and I highly encourage you to start the process. It's going to take some time. Those, those counselors at emetro.org slash counseling are the people that we've actually vetted and we highly recommend to you. All right, I wish I had that when I started my process, but I didn't. But I wish I had that. But I want to encourage you to do that. Because at the end of the day, we have to wage war on our sinful nature. If we don't do it, it will destroy our lives. We'll live under the judgment of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, your life will begin to decay. It will start rotting. It'll start stinking. So Jesus' role as our Messiah is two things. It's to bring us life. It's to judge. And Jesus' judgment, I hope, because if you've, I've encountered so much of Jesus' judgment. By the grace of God, it's led me back to him. So his judgment is not to hurt you, but it's to bring you back to him. And maybe you're going through that right now. Maybe you've gone through a judgment. I want you to know that it's an opportunity, it's an invitation to come back to Jesus Christ. That's the beauty about God's judgment. It's hard, but invites you to come back. Is Jesus Christ enough for you? Is he really enough for you? You know, growing up in a home where I grew up, like these little kids that perform today, picture that age. And you don't really know what's going on, but yet your father is abusive to you physically. I didn't know how to make sense of that as a little kid. I didn't have the proper emotional faculties to figure out, like, why. I just thought there was something really wrong with me, and that happened. Then I saw things that no kid should see at that age, what my father did to my mother and things like that. And it, was, it was horrifying, traumatizing in every way. And I wish I could have told you that once I became a Christian as a 10th grader, it all just went away. I was all good, and I was healed, and it was nothing. I mean, when I, when I became a Christian as a 10th grader, you guys, you know, I was a radical Christian, man. You know what I did in high school? When I got my license, I would drive to the Garden State Plaza and I would evangelize to people because I was trying to get them to believe in Jesus Christ. Because when I became a Christian, I became like a radical, man. I was on fire for Jesus. But I wish I could tell you that once I did that, like all of a sudden, all my wounds were healed. I was like perfect. No. My wounds were not healed. I had hope, but I didn't know how to deal with any of this stuff. And what happened over the years is that those unhealed wounds became addictive sinful patterns in my life. Deep stuff with like shame, lust, like success, like I success. I wanted to be successful at everything I did. Because when you have a father that abuses as a little child, you live in shame and you think that there's something wrong with you, that you're a loser or you're a lesser than. And so for me, like I want to be successful. Like, people who know me, you guys know how competitive I am. And I'm competitive, and I want to win because there are times where I hear the voice that I'm a mistake, I'm a loser, 
And I want to win because I want to silence those voices. Like, I mean, it was so bad. Like, when I graduated from college, my, this junior high youth group pastor, I don't know why, but I was attending my home church. She asked if I could speak at their junior high retreat. I'm like, I'm not even a pastor. Like, you sure you want me to do this? So we would love to have you speak. I said, okay, I'll do it. You know when these junior high retreats, you always have, like, the fun activities? These are, like, fifth graders, man. You know one of the things we did as, as a fun activity? We had a push-up contest. Do you know that I challenged a fifth grader to push-ups? Right? And you know what I did? I got him disqualified because he wasn't doing full push-ups. He was just doing quarter push-ups, and I was doing I'm like, hey, he's doing it wrong. He needs to get disqualified. And I can just imagine what the youth pastor was thinking. Who is this guy? He's a fifth grader. Why are you so, like, uptight? Because I had to win. No matter what. Because I kept hearing a voice, I'm a loser, I'm a loser. I don't care if he was a fifth grader, I want to beat him. And I did. I got him disqualified. <laughs> I got him disqualified. I didn't beat him fair and square, I cheated. I got him disqualified. I mean, that's how sick I was. My wounds were so deep. I needed healing. When I started this church, I really struggled with lust, I did. And I went to my elder board, I had an amazing group of elders. And I just said, listen, guys, like, when I travel by myself, I really struggle with lust. Is it okay if the church could pay for somebody to travel with me? They said, of course. We don't want you to struggle. I said, thank you. Because when another dude is in with me in a hotel room, I have no temptations. <laughs> no temptations. And so I traveled all over the world for years. And people on my staff traveled with me because I needed somebody to watch me. Because I had these addictive, sinful patterns that were not healthy, man. My desire to succeed was crazy, man. As a church planter, I wanted Metro Community Church to be the biggest church in the world. You know what I used to do? I used to drive down that turnpike on route, and when you see the metal, remember the Continental Airlines Arena where the New Jersey Nets used to play? I used to pray that that would be Metro Community Church one day. That we would have like 25 to 50,000 people attending that church. That we'd be the largest church in this country. And I believe, no, 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 I, I did give up. I did give up. <laughs> I got to give up on that. I can't keep wanting that. But it's because I had to be successful. Because these wounds weren't healing and I just kept hearing that I'm just not good enough to do this. Was God merciful to me? Absolutely. Man, he was so gracious to me. Like, as I woke up today and I thought about the 19 years, I'm like, God, I cannot believe I'm still here. Like, you should have taken me out. But he still judged me. And my life started to stink because I was decaying. Jenny saw that, my wife, who's a birthday today. My kids smelled that sometimes. They saw that side of me that was not happy happy. And I was struggling so much during the years of ministry here to a point where I walked out of my church parking lot years ago. You know the story. Like 9.30 at night on a Sunday after a long day of ministry. And I said, I want to die. I don't want to live anymore. My life had gotten so rotten, so decayed that I wanted to not live anymore. And all of you thought I was okay because some of you were part of the church during that season. What? You're crazy. You're exaggerating. No, it was. 
But it all changed for me. When I came back from my first sabbatical, and I wanted to take it seriously. I wanted to take confession of my sins so much more seriously. I wanted to do it on a regular basis. And then I asked my elder board again. I, again, my elder board, elder boards, are, they're my lifeline. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for these elder boards. I said, could you guys pay for my counseling? Because I have wounds that need some healing. And for 18 months, they paid, the church paid every week I went to counseling for 18 months. And then for another year, I went every other week. And then for another year, I went once a month. And then another year, I went once a quarter. And now I go once or twice a year for tune-ups. And if I need more, I'll go. And you know what started happening when I started doing that? My addictive sinful patterns just kind of went away. It's not because I'm this ugly, harmful, sinful person. It's just because I had wounds that didn't heal. And I want you to know that that could be the case for you today. And now I'm living a life where it's transformed. I feel free. Jesus is truly enough for me. I don't, Metro doesn't have to be a big church anymore. I can lose and still be happy. It's okay. Because Jesus is life. And having God only still translates to having abundant life. So today the choice is simple for you. Is Jesus enough for you? Or will you just continue to live your life to satisfy your sinful desires? Jesus offers life and he offers judgment. Whatever you choose today, even if you choose judgment, because some of you will, I pray that Jesus' judgment would be so overwhelming for you that it'll lead you right back to him and you'll have life. That's my hope and prayer for you. Let's pray. You don't have to believe that there is no way for you to have life in God. That's the message he wants you to know right now. That you can't have the abundance of God right now. No matter what your life might look like, no matter what you've done, mercy is here for you. And you can have an abundance of God. And so is Jesus enough for you? I certainly hope he is. I'm going to just give you an opportunity to, to say yes or no to that. And if he's not, would you just be honest with him about why? And I think in that authenticity, you can have a real authentic engagement with God right now. But this is a time to be honest with him. Because if Jesus is not enough for you, you're not going to be able to live a life where you see God only as an abundant life. You're going to continue to want the things of this world, the interests of this world to be something that you think is going to make you joyful. Nothing in this world can lead to joy. Things in this world can lead to happiness and pleasure, but nothing in this world can lead to joy. Joy is very different from pleasure and happiness. Joy only comes from God. Some of you have been using the Holy Spirit like a drug to overcompensate for your lack of emotional health. I did that for many years. You just want the Holy Spirit for power. But the Holy Spirit doesn't want to come to you just for the power. The Holy Spirit chooses to reside in your life so that you can have an abundance of God in your life, regardless of the power. 
And so would you go to him right now? And would you answer this question, is Jesus enough for you? And I'll just close this in prayer after that. Those who only live to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. God help us to never give up. May we never give up on our life and we never certainly, may we never give up on you. I pray that you would be enough for us in our own personal life for our church. Whatever it takes, God, whatever it takes, be enough for us. Whatever needs to be taken away from our lives, whatever needs to be extracted, be enough for us so that we can taste the abundance of life, so that we can drink of this living water and never thirst again. Because some of us are dying of thirst. Some of us are so dehydrated because we have not drank from the living waters of Jesus Christ. So may you be enough. Thank you that we read of your teaching where you have promised us that God is enough and that you offer us that life. And I pray for anyone here that are really struggling with an addictive sinful pattern and they continue to find themselves so alone because they've hurt the people they love the most. I pray for your healing to be upon them. I pray for that balm of Gilead to be lavished upon their lives so they can encounter your healing in every way. And may they taste of this life that you have for them. Thank you, God, for this time. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.